Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. No! Oh, my God! How could he do that? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we have a jam-packed show for you all. Big time NFL off-season news, big time NBA debuts and streaks. And we're excited to talk about all of them. We're going to start with the biggest story of them all, Logan, which is that the Baltimore Ravens have hit Lamar Jackson with the non-exclusive franchise tag. That leaves him open to negotiation from other teams. They can offer him whatever they want. And the Ravens then have an opportunity to match that contract and retain Lamar in Baltimore or let him walk and get two first-round picks from whatever team does sign him. Of course, Lamar has been acting for has been asking for a massive fully guaranteed deal along the lines of what we saw Deshaun Watson get. The Ravens have been unwilling to give that to him. Now they allow him to test the open market and so far there has been more buzz about teams not being interested and actively making that known if it's the Falcons, the Panthers, the Dolphins, the Raiders than there has been talk of teams who are actively pursuing Lamar Jackson and in the market for him. So, what's your take on this, Logan? How do you view this decision, the non-exclusive tag on Lamar for both sides, and how do you see this all playing out? Yeah, let's get into it. I mean, the non-exclusive tag from Baltimore, Carson, signals to me that obviously Baltimore is skeptical about Lamar's future with the team uh, for some reason, either in... Durability, uh, there's a disconnect, and Baltimore doesn't have complete faith in him. Uh, Lamar hasn't finished either of the last two seasons. Uh, you look at Lamar's playoff success, he's 1-3, and three and he won a stinker of a game against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, but I think it comes down to the durability concern because he hasn't finished either of the last two seasons. That's why they don't want to fully guarantee something. Uh, 
on the flip side of this for Lamar and his camp, it's frustrating watching you-know-who and Kyler Murray get 230 and $190 million guaranteed, watching Russell Wilson get $161 million guaranteed. Uh, to put it simply, they messed up the market. Now, I've heard takes around the league uh, saying that this is built on collusion. I'm going to spill it out. I'm not going to mince words. I'm not going to beat around the bush here. This is on Lamar Jackson. He does not have an agent. And as an outsider, as somebody that covers this sport, that knows the historical sides of this, that knows the money that's getting thrown around, I've been around this game for a while, uh, there's an old song by DMX, uh, Rest in Peace, Carson. It's called uh, Stop Being Greedy. I get it. I get it. You want a big bag like Kyler Murray, like Deshaun Watson. I get it. Lamar's won an MVP. He is a top six or seven quarterback. He has been Baltimore's leading rusher and passer for four straight seasons. Three of those four seasons, the Ravens have reached the playoffs. He's seventh in most total touchdowns since 2019. He's eighth in most total rushing yards since 2019. He's 13th in most total yards since 2019. I would rather have him than Murray. I'd rather have him than you-know-who. I'd rather have him than Rodgers. But a very smart man told me one time, Carson, that if somebody offers you $100 million, you don't think about it. You shut up. You say thank you. You say yes, and you move on. And if anybody offered me close to $100 million guaranteed, I would say yes in a heartbeat, and I wouldn't think about it. I think this is on Lamar's shoulders. I think this is on him. I think it's because he doesn't have an agent. If he did have an agent, this would be done already. He would have a done deal, and they would have already figured all this out. Uh, I put this on Lamar's shoulders. Like, I understand it. I know you want more money. You want fully guaranteed. The guaranteed money is overrated. Take what they offer you. Get your bag while you're healthy, while there's no questions on the table. Because the way I look at it, you asked me, Carson, how I think this is going to end up. I think uh, Lamar probably ends up holding out. I think this is going to get very nasty with Baltimore. The history of these guys, they have not... All the reports, Baltimore continues to endorse him, but nothing that has been reported on uh, says that we're, we're moving towards a... Uh, a better direction, a, a meeting point, a, a common ground here. It doesn't seem like that at all. I, I listened to Stephen A's take on this too, Carson. He said that it's built on collusion. Now, I will say this. The NFL is a very dirty game, Carson. Me and you both know this. Mm-hmm. That's the scary side of this is it gives you a really bad look. You think about guys that turned down bags in the past over guaranteed money. I think the foremost example is Le'Veon Bell, who made this almost popular or, hey, you can sit out. Because if Lamar signs this deal, he still has the option to sit out and the Ravens would be forced to pay him, right? I think it's a bad idea for Lamar to sit out this season if he does sign that tender too. I I think it's way less value than he's worth, but I also think it's a very bad look to other teams because they'd say, you know, Lamar sat out. Why wouldn't he do that to us? It's a bad look for him, and it's a year wasted of healthy football when that's so valuable. You know what I mean? It's just, you're young. This is another year where you could be on the field impacting the game. Um, and I get why you'd want to sit out, because you don't have your guaranteed money. You don't have your deal done. I understand that aspect of it. Um, I don't think these sides, I don't think they're going to reach ahead. I understand this from both sides, but if I'm Lamar and it's anywhere close to what those guys received, I would just say yes, and it wouldn't be a, a thought. You know what I mean? It's... It's a life-changing amount of money either way you look at it. I don't care. I understand why Lamar wants more, but uh, 
I think it's in his best interest and the Ravens' best interest to take what they put on the table. If it's close, you know, to either any of those offers I named, Murray, you know who, or Russell Wilson. Right. And we do know what the initial offer that Lamar declined was, which was $250 million and $133 million guaranteed, which is roughly in line with a lot of those contracts, right? Even Patrick Mahomes on his mega deal, $450 million total, $141 million of that is guaranteed. And as we've said, Watson is still an outlier in the fact that it's fully guaranteed. It's nearly one and a half times the guaranteed money that we've seen from anybody else. So... I think that this is a complicated issue, right? Because, yeah, that's a solid deal for Lamar. At the same time, I get wanting to extract every last bit of value that you can out of your short but incredibly valuable playing career. I think it makes sense. I mean, he could almost double the money that he's making, right, if it's all guaranteed. And I think what we are clearly seeing here is not really a Lamar Jackson issue, but more a Deshaun Watson's contract is not what the league wants to be the norm. That's the only reason I could see for so many teams being actively outspoken about not wanting Lamar like this. And it's really strange to me then that a deal like this did go down with Deshaun Watson in Cleveland when he is not at this point the football player that Lamar Jackson is. I mean, if you want to talk about Deshaun Watson three years ago or whatever, the last time we had seen him before the contract, that's one thing. But the guy went through a massive scandal, a massive lawsuit, and had been disgraced, then got $230 million guaranteed and sucked for six games when we actually saw him this year. So for him to be the outlier does feel strange and does feel almost unsustainable because if there's a collective position like Lamar's, if more players come out and do this, there's a point where you got to pay a Josh Allen whatever he wants, right? He's already gotten his money. But Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, these guys are coming up. Mm-hmm. They're only marginally better than Lamar, in my opinion. But if all these guys are coming out with the same demand, at some point, the reality might just hit that the goalpost has moved. Because that's how we tend to look at these things, right? A guy sets the market. And then if you're better than that guy, you get paid more than that guy. And maybe it seems ludicrous, but it becomes a very tough negotiating position for a team if X player is making $50 million guaranteed a year and your guy who's better than that guy wants his $50 million guaranteed a year and you just say no. So that's why it does feel strange and it does feel like a collective NFL owner stance here. And maybe there is collusion going on because it's a very calculated move by Baltimore certainly that in a lot of ways is the smartest thing they can do right because if nobody's going to pay Lamar this you let him go theoretically at least explore his options and show him hey nobody's going to pay you this just come back to us we'll give you your massive contract we're just not going to give you this fully guaranteed contract and that would be the best way to retain him right because if you go with the exclusive tag then you're going to continue to build more tension. There's going to be resentment. Maybe he holds out. Now he explores his options. He sees that nobody's going to pay him this. And he's like, well, Baltimore's giving me a great deal. It's a really good football situation. We've had a top three defense four of my five years as a starter. We have a great coach. I've seen massive success there. Maybe it just makes sense to stay. So the question is really just how collective is this stance from the NFL? Like, is this an actual hard line? Hey, 
we're all in this together. We're not going to allow this to happen. Or was this just Baltimore being insightful and saying, well, we think that we know how the other owners feel. But the bottom line is, I think it's clear that Lamar is not going to get the contract he wants. It just doesn't seem like anyone's going to pay him that. Like, we're talking about desperate teams here who haven't seen a quarterback in years who are saying, yeah, we're going to turn down this top seven quarterback in his absolute prime. That is not a football decision, right? That is a philosophical cap management player control decision. Well, I think it's a cap management issue, and I think it's the player that you're getting in Lamar Jackson. I think the durability issues are very prevalent for uh, other teams. I think they're very concerned about the way that he plays football. Again, Lamar has not finished either of the last two seasons. Uh, Think about you know, they always talk about the doctors and how advanced we are in medicine and this and that. The tearing of an ACL to a guy like, say, Joe Burrow, what happens in his first season, is a lot less impactful than it is for a guy like Lamar Jackson. You can say, oh, we have this technology, mm-hmm. he'd rehabbed, he'd, he'd, it'd be like nothing changed, but we know that's not true. We saw Robert Griffin III, right? We saw Randall Cunningham's way back when medicine was, you know, way behind, but a player that stylistically plays like Lamar is going to be um, at, at a higher risk of getting injured because he just gets hit more often. I, I understand that because I don't think it's a – it could be a little bit of a collusion thing. I'm not going to say because we have seen that in the past. The NFL is mm-hmm. a dirty, dirty sport. But it is that – you know, because I understand how Lamar thinks. Lamar thinks, I, got my, I won my MVP. I am a top seven player at my position. I deserve this money. But the owners are looking at it as – well, we could pay him this guaranteed money and we could get boned because he could be hurt next season and be out for the entire next year. I get it so, from both sides. You think if Justin Herbert asked for this money, if Joe Burrow asked for this money when their extensions come up, do they get it? Yes, they get okay. whatever they ask for. I think you may be right. And Lamar may exist in a very strange space where he is exceptionally talented, but people can point to these concerns, right? Like missing... 10 games over the last two years and having a bit of regression statistically in terms of his passing efficiency. Now, personally, I think that those are both overrated. I understand what you're saying in terms of the play style being more likely to lead to injury, of course. Like, Lamar isn't Josh Allen, right? Where you don't even know if it's possible for the body to wear down because he's 6'5", 250. So I do get that concern, but I also think that regardless of what you want to say about his passing numbers over the last two years, we've seen it, dude. I mean, he has like the highest winning percentage in NFL history. When he plays, the Ravens have the second highest scoring offense over the last five years. They put up 27 plus a game. When he doesn't, they score 17 a game. They'd be the worst offense in football. Like, I don't think there's a question about Lamar, the football player. So it does feel to me to be a very fine line then between him and a Herbert or a Burrow because yeah, I would slightly prefer having those other guys who I just named, but not by much in terms of just, hey, when they're both healthy, when they're yeah. out there. So, yeah, it's interesting because if Patrick Mahomes comes out and asks for this, there's no question that he gets it. I think if Josh Allen came out and asked for this, there would be no question that he gets it. And maybe Herbert and Burrow are in that same tier. So I guess it's a matter of, like, are they just putting off the tide that is eventually going to come? Or how much is this really about Lamar? Or is Lamar just a a guy who they can use to hold it off for another year because he has enough questions? Well, and that's the two things that I 
I'd end on is for Baltimore's perspective, if Lamar was your guy, you would be incentivized to get this deal done now. Because like you said, Burrow and Herbert are coming. They are going to reset the market mm-hmm. because both of those guys are going to get bags, whatever they ask for. Whatever Josh Allen asked for, he's going to receive. That's why it doesn't make sense that if you wanted Lamar to stick around long-term, you would sign him now before the salary cap increases, before the new TV deals come in, before everything gets restructured, so he's on a lower deal. On the opposite side of this, though, Carson, like I said initially, you tell me if if you disagree. I don't like talking about other people's money a whole lot. I don't like getting into other people's money. That's weird. But as a man who has not had a lot of money, I don't care. Like I said, you get your money when it's on the table, and it's on the table for you right now, Lamar. That's why it doesn't make sense to me that he would play games about maybe getting injured. or mm-hmm. I mean, think about it, man. Dennis Schroeder, a mm-hmm. prime example, gets that bag on the table, settles for the league minimum. Latrell Sprewell, when the money is there on the table, like it's a life-changing yeah. amount of money, and I, I just don't think you should think twice about it. I understand you want to get requisite value for the player that you feel like you are. But at this point, I think it's smarter for both sides in this to get the long-term deal. It doesn't make sense to me if they haven't gotten a deal done. And I don't like Lamar running that risk. I want Lamar to get paid too. I want him to get his money, and I don't want him to play next season, get hurt again, and mess up his bag. I, I don't know. That, that's where I come down on it. Or, or Do you agree with me? I think it's difficult because yeah of course it's life-changing money no matter what we're talking about a guaranteed 130 million plus right that's the deal that he turned down and he's coming off of a rookie deal where he has not seen anything close to that kind of money at the same time again we could be talking about a 100 plus million dollar difference if he does get the deal that he wants and that he thinks he's deserving of so I understand what you're saying. I also understand why he would push it because it's really tough, I think, to conceptualize why Deshaun Watson, coming off of a massive scandal, having not played football in two years, having never led to the kind of team success that Lamar had or the individual heights with the MVP, would get almost double the guaranteed money. And I can understand him seeing, hey, this is the trend I'm going to be part of this. I'm not going to get left out when Herbert and Burrow rake in their $200 million plus guaranteed and Deshaun Watson's already got it. So I can see both sides here. Well, and it sucks because, I mean, that contract was unprecedented at the time considering the circumstances, and it's unprecedented in terms of money, period. Yeah. Guarante- like, like, regardless of the circumstances, it is an unprecedented contract, and that's what made it. Owners hated that. Mm-hmm. I mean, because then they had, you know, the Cardinals hated it. They bit the bullet. They gave Kyler whatever he wanted. Um, I don't know, man. I want to see them. It's a perfect fit in all the ways that you laid out too, man. I think Lamar's is imperative to Baltimore as Baltimore as is imperative to Lamar. Harbaugh and them bought in. Harbaugh is one of the best coaches you could play for. This is one of the best organizations year in, year out. I. I want to see them get this done, and I don't think there's a whole lot of interest. What do you... Uh, let's put a bow on this. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I think the way this plays out is Lamar signs this tender, and I think he sits out in the start of training camp, and I think this could bleed into the season. I don't think Lamar's playing until he gets his long-term deal. 
I, it seems right now that you're not going to see that offer come in from anybody, which is interesting because I look at a team like the Jets, who we know have a strong roster but are completely deficient at the quarterback position, and every single conversation about them involves Aaron Rodgers, it seems right now, when Aaron Rodgers is still going to be highly expensive, is knocking on 40 years old, and is just not as good at football as Lamar Jackson and is best case scenario a short-term solution for a couple years when again he already regressed and didn't consistently look like a top 10 quarterback certainly not in that tier one that he had been for over a decade so that's what feels strange about this is that it's like is nobody gonna be whatever you want to call it selfish enough stupid enough if you feel that way to pay this kind of money for a premier talent at the premier position because they're looking at it from the broader perspective of the league that's why it feels like there's some collective understanding here right because Deshaun Watson got paid this money right this is what happens the money goes up and up and up and now this line has been drawn and it just feels strange to me that everybody would be in unanimous agreement about that you're also giving up the two first-round picks. But who cares? People throw those around for premier quarterback talents. Russ, I Deshaun. Ca- I think people are cautious of, of Lamar for good reason. And like to be I fair, said, neither man, Russ or Deshaun I, has looked good <laughs> giving up that kind of investment. Yeah. I just think that... Yeah, man. I mean, Watson and Murray messed up the entire market, dude. That type of money has never been guaranteed before. We've never seen anything like that to Watson, or excuse me, to Watson, Murray, or Wilson. I just think it's like, and I get it, man. It's always next man up. It has always been that at the quarterback position. That's why it has felt so weird this entire time and why the Ravens needed to get this deal done before the Kyler Murray one. It, it, it's, it's tough. I don't know. It, I understand this completely from both sides. Lamar wants to get paid what he's worth. That's what we all want, right? Mm -hmm. If you feel like you're being paid, if you're underpaid, you're not happy. You want to be at equal value. You don't want to be underpaid or over, you know, underrated. You want to be right there. I get that. Um, I just, I think this is going to get ugly and I just think it's, I don't know. I I think Lamar would be smarter to just go ahead and accept the guaranteed money because you don't, I don't know, man. You you don't like taking variables like that, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. I agree with you that I think Lamar is going to hold out for a time. And then I think he'll reach a crossroads where it's either wait for the entire season, just sit out, and wait for that new precedent to be reestablished with Burrow and Herbert mega contracts. And if not that then maybe it's sit out until he reaches a point where he's like, all right, I'm just going to stay in Baltimore with something close to the initial deal that was proposed unless like he feels there's bad blood and somebody comes in with equal money and he would rather jump ship. But I don't know that he's going to a better football situation than Baltimore. When he plays, they're contenders. I understand they don't have the playoff success yet and that he hasn't always performed up to expectations on the couple times that we've seen him on that stage, but they win 80% of their games in the regular season when Lamar starts at quarterback and they're still churning out elite defenses. And yeah, their skill position talent isn't elite, but it's good enough for them to consistently be a dominant offense, a dominant run game, and a still pretty effective passing game when Lamar is on the field. So it's a bummer. 
really it is because I understand why he wants to get all of this guaranteed. I see the league's position here, obviously, of not wanting him to get that. But bottom line, I think that the Ravens selfishly have played this very well because, again, they have given him the opportunity to, hey, explore his options. And what he's seeing right now is that the options are not there at the moment. And that puts him in a, a difficult spot. He's not just going to be able to go get his money somewhere else, clearly. And I also think it's tough because Lamar doesn't have an agent, too. It's not like he has a guy he can go through to coordinate mm-hmm. all these other things with a different team, too. He doesn't have a guy to to mend the gap. And I understand, too, being cautious about your money, right? We've heard, you know, crazy agent situations. Uh, Mike Tyson, right? Mike Tyson gets all that money stolen. I understand not being fully trustworthy about somebody to handle all that for you, but... Uh, the reality of it is, I mean, I heard a former NFL exec talk about this uh, on the Rich Eisen show. I mean, these guys just understand contracts better. You know what I mean? It's like Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. is a football player. Uh, he plays football. Um, there are guys who work on contracts full-time. They're contracts guys. They mend fences with these guys. They can tell the team owners and not make it not make it ugly with you and the player. They can get ugly with them and tell you this is disrespectful to my to my player, the guy I'm representing. It's a lot easier, in my opinion, to handle those things when you have a guy that can handle it. You know what I mean? It's it's hard for Lamar to have this conversation up front with and with the front office. The agents want their ten percent, so they want to get a deal done. Mm-hmm. So things are just going to move faster and are more likely to reach a quick conclusion there. Um, so yeah, I think this is going to drag on through training camp, man. I don't think this is the end of it at all. And I don't think it doesn't sound like teams are biting. Um, it's crazy, man, especially seeing the other guys get paid too, which I assume we'll get onto Derek Carr, Daniel Jones, get their bag, man. It's weird. You know, I want to see Lamar get his money too. Yeah, obviously in a completely different tier as a player. Also asking though, for a different level of money. Let's talk about that car deal. It's four years up to $150 million, $100 million guaranteed with a $60 million signing bonus in there. Going to New Orleans, a division that is obviously wide open and was flat out bad this year. And then the best quarterback out of a not so impressive group and Tom Brady retired. So definitely an opportunity here. What do you think about this move? Yeah, I'm always for... Uh football is matchup dependent division dependent to an extent too and i think anytime you can have the best quarterback in your division uh, it's a win right um you by i think unequivocally have the best quarterback in the division now look at the other contenders you know kyle trask uh i don't know who carolina is going to trot out you know sam darnold um atlanta just cut uh cut Marcus Mariota, maybe we get some Desmond Ritter action next season. There's always value in having the best quarterback in your division, and it's nice, too, for Carr because he gets out the shadow of Herbert, of Mahomes, uh, of those guys, too, right? Uh, He has the fourth-most passing yards and the seventh-most passing TD since he's entered the league. But I've never really been a huge Derek Carr guy. Not Um, true. One time you said he was a top-five quarterback. I did say that one time. (laughs) Look receipts, buddy. And one, I think it was after his like 2016 season or something. After Derek Carr's really good, it was year, while we I were was, doing this podcast. But to be yeah. fair, you had like 12 top five quarterbacks, but you did say that about Derek Carr. In recent memory, my opinion of Derek has changed in the sense that I just don't think he's. I don't want him in big moments. 
I think he crumbles when the when the lights are on. He doesn't really deal with pressure well. He's a little oblivious, and maybe I'm a little scarred because Carr's numbers are good. You look at the fumble numbers, the turnover numbers, though, they're a little shaky, and then I, I am scarred a little bit by the Steelers games that I've watched because the Steelers absolutely shit on Derek Carr. He gave, uh, he gave that game away to Pittsburgh, and that was a game that uh, Vegas really needed. Um uh, the thing that I think is scary about Derek Carr is, like I said, I, I, I think in big moments I don't like him. I think when he's under pressure, I don't like him. And like I said, he's a little oblivious at times to things that are happening on the field. And the cliff for QBs is always unknown. You know, Kellerman for the longest time gave his take about Tom Brady. Uh, for the longest time, uh, you know, the cliff is coming. And for every QB, it did. Payton's hit like a wall after Ben got that surgery. I mean, just fully tanked. We saw a little bit of it with Aaron Rodgers last year. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, of bigger examples of of guys, you know, I mean, just nosediving in a single year. Russell Wilson this last year, uh, just the, the the speed at which he was processing the game on the field. You don't know when that cliff hits, and it could hit this year. You know what I mean? I think Derek Carr is on the decline. That being said, he could still be the best uh, QB in this division. He's paired up with one of his old coaches. I think this is a better situation. Then Vegas, Vegas' defense has been cheeks. I think New Orleans is just a flat-out better team. And this is a team that really needs a QB. They've been searching since they lost Derek Carr. Um, I think it's an average deal, and I don't think it's as big of a risk. It's 100 mil guaranteed, four years, 150. But, I mean, after two years, if the Saints aren't feeling him, they can let him go. Mm-hmm. And that's the bright spot in all this. Uh, it's a good move. You know, I don't think the Saints are like a legitimate contender to – win a Super Bowl or anything. They're playoff contenders. I think D.C. can get them to the playoffs, and that's what they want. Once you're in the door, anything can happen uh, in the NFL playoffs. You know, it's wide open. Uh, but it does scare me. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Derek Carr guy, and I don't think he's a, he's a fringe top-half QB at this point. It's a lot of money for a fringe top-half QB in the NFL nowadays, right? I'd like – I'd take Jared Goff over him. I'd take Dak Prescott over him. I'd still take Kirk, Trevor Lawrence – Joe Burrow, I mean, these guys are upper echelon, but I think, you know, Carr's firmly about a median level for QB average, mm-hmm. and I think he's declining. I feel similarly. I'm pretty okay with this deal, and I think my favorite part of it is just seizing the opportunity at hand, right, because of how weak the division is. For Carr, I think it's an absolute win. We saw the most talented Raiders team ever in terms of just offensive ability. Obviously, they have not put together a good defense literally since they went to the Super Bowl. But incredible offensive skill position talent. Yes, Renfro, Darren Waller got hurt for about half the year, both of them. But at the same time, it was the end of the Derek Carr era, and they won seven games. So clearly, the ceiling in Oakland was not what it can be in New Orleans because we have seen the Saints put together consistent, very strong defenses. And again, it doesn't take all that much to win this division at all. Like the Saints next year, I think can absolutely be better than the Buccaneers this year. And you're playing, you're paying a solid starting quarterback. What is now really solid starting quarterback money? Like, of course it's a big bottom line number, but it's not really to me above value. The issue with this at the same time is that Carr has regressed. And at 31, almost 32, he's not a real needle mover. And in some ways is 
a marginal upgrade even versus the Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston collective. He's clearly better than both those guys, but this year I thought was the worst of his career. I thought that we saw timing issues from him with receivers, accuracy, placement issues, velocity, just not what it needed to be at times. And I think all that sort of comes together to him throwing 14 picks. I thought he was too locked in on Devontae Adams a lot of the time. And obviously that's an exceptional player, but it was just overly predictable. And if you compare this past year, Derek Carr, to 2020, just a few years ago, 2020, he was 67% completion, 7.9 yards per attempt, 27 touchdowns, nine picks, very efficient quarterback overall. This year, he's under 61% completion, which is very low in today's NFL, seven yards per attempt, 22 touchdowns, 14 picks, which was right towards the top of the league. So you're not getting an arguable top 10 quarterback anymore. You're getting an average quarterback. And Mm -hmm. to commit to that guy with a roster that is in a lot of ways pretty average too, to seize the opportunity to win the worst division in football, it's a pretty okay move. Like that's where I come down. And I understand wanting to be as competitive as possible at all times. And I understand seeing the opportunity and hey once you get into the playoffs theoretically anything can happen right but I don't know how the Saints are putting together a Super Bowl caliber roster with Derek Carr over these next couple years with very limited cap space with underwhelming draft capital it's a minor ceiling raiser in a bad division it's tough to really crush a team for adding a solid quarterback at basically market value, but I also don't think it's a home run or a move that deserves a ton of praise. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say, too, is that, I don't know, the biggest knock for me on D.C. outside of the things I touched on earlier is the turnover things, man. Uh, Since he entered the league, uh, obviously he's going to be very high. He's got the second most interceptions and fumbles out of anybody. He's fumbled the ball 80 times. He's got 99 picks, too. I mean, it's just always been an issue, too, D.C. just holding on to the ball. And granted, he's only lost like half, uh, a little under half of those fumbles, but still, he's got the most fumbles lost. He's got the third most picks thrown. Um, That's the one thing that I thought last year, I was like, man, he marginally improved on him, and he had just some horrible games down the stretch. Uh, Carr holding on to the ball, too, is just, you know, an issue. And I still think it's going to be an issue that persists, especially as he regresses, too. That's an awareness mm-hmm. thing. You know what I mean? Awareness in where you're throwing the ball and awareness in the pocket. It's – I don't really view the Saints. Like, you, I think you said it perfectly. This is a marginal upgrade over Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston. That's all you need to know. I mean, it's – Derek Carr's not and has really never been uh, close to – to a top five QB. I was I was mm-hmm. on one uh, back when I was claiming that, man. You know, and I I like Derek Carr's personality a lot, man. I think he's a really upfront guy. I think he wears his heart on his sleeve. I think he can lead a locker room, and I think he can get I think he can get guys to buy in, even though he doesn't curse, which I think is a little <laughs> weird, man. He, he says stuff like dad gummit and stuff like that. Um, Derek Carr is a guy that I root for. He's a very good dude, and I, and I recognize that. And I like how open and honest he is about his play, about how much he loves this game, about how, how much he loves the sport. Uh, but that being said, I mean, I, I think he's, he's not that good anymore. And uh, I don't think it makes the Saints a legit contender. I, I think a win for them is if he can protect the football and not make too many mistakes. You're going to lean on Kamara. Hopefully they have Alave and Thomas back for this upcoming season. Because um, I think it can be a good offense. We've seen what he can do 
the numbers he can put up. It's just going to be on him to perform in the clutch and to protect the football. Those are the two things that he needs to do really well because the, the talent's here. Yeah. If they are able to keep Michael Thomas and if he is healthy, then I would feel better about this team just in terms of offensive dynamism because then I think that the weapons are more in line with what he already had in Oakland and, again, was just okay with. Like, he had the most productive running back in football and a really efficient run game, and he had Mm -hmm. maybe the best receiver in football. And, again, Renfro and Waller weren't consistently healthy, but both guys who we've seen put up a 1,000 yards in very recent years, very talented football players, especially Waller at the tight end spot. So... I'm just concerned about Michael Thomas, given how insanely injured he has been, given the fact that they're going to need to clear some cap to have some maneuverability with this roster. I don't know that he comes back. Obviously, Jarvis Landry has regressed a ton and now is going to be hitting the market. So I do look at these weapons and I'm like, all right, Olave, Kamara, that's great. But is this offense going to be better than the Raiders? I don't know. I think it's really the difference of a team being able to put together a good defense versus that never happening in Raiders history. So I do think the Saints will win the division. And again, I can't crush them for that. But I'm not in awe of Derek Carr. Let's talk about Daniel Jones, who got his money. Four years, $160 million for him, $82 million of that guaranteed. Rejoining the New York football giants. What do you make of this, Logan? I mean, I, I guess it means that Brian Dable and, and the Giants believe in him a little bit. Um, you don't want to let a first-round pick walk. You don't want to get nothing back. Daniel Jones doesn't no. blow my socks off either. You know what I mean? He's, uh, I think Theo said this in one of his TikToks. I think he was uh, dead last in depth of target this last season. Um, that's a big thing. You know, I mean, it's it, it tells you a lot about Jones as a uh, – quarterback and what he does he likes to check the ball down but it also tells you a lot about the offense that they put around him now granted there wasn't a lot of talent there they need to get a receiver in there for him uh you know Galladay Tony both leave town after this season Tony gets dealt Galladay just done finally get off that (laughs) bum ass contract uh yeah Daniel Jones is not a great quarterback and I mean I even made a YouTube video on him you know I think two years ago about you know, all of his issues and flaws. I mean, he just turned the rock over. He was a lot like Derek Carr, just oblivious sometimes on the pocket. Granted, this is not the best situation. Um, it sucks. You either let him walk and you restart in the draft. You take whatever quarterback you can find or you trade up. And I think they like just sticking with a solid option instead of going out and trying to find that new guy. And sometimes you have to do that. Um, Daniel Jones wasn't bad last season. That's an improvement. Daniel Jones was bad his first few years. He turned the ball over. He didn't make big plays. He still doesn't make big plays, but he you know, he didn't mm-hmm. take the Giants out of games, and that's what he's going to have to continue to do. Uh, I like them taking it slow. Uh, this signals to me, though, that they at least believe in him somewhat, and it's only two years guaranteed. So again, after two years, if the Giants do not want Daniel Jones anymore, they can just let him go. He still has to prove it to earn the rest of this money. Um, again, like you said about Derek Carr, I'm not going to give the Giants a, a ra- you know raving applause for bringing back Daniel Jones, but 
I think it was the best option they had on the table. I like the flexibility of this contract, right? The fact that it's not a massive long-term commitment, but do I think that Daniel Jones is the answer in New York? No, I absolutely do not. So I don't really like this contract. In some ways, I think that you're possibly better off just going for the reset and taking another stab at it because... Daniel Jones has gotten to the point where he's like an athletic game manager, right? Which is fine, but very underwhelming in terms of his ability to change the game as a thrower. Like he had three 250-yard games mm -hmm. all year, and they were against the Lions and the Vikings, maybe the two worst defenses in football. Definitely, I would say the two worst defenses of any competitive team this past year. And I just think we've consistently seen that from him his limitations there so yeah of course he hasn't been put in a great position to succeed in terms of the receiving talent that he's played with but I think for the most part we know who Daniel Jones is and he's not a franchise quarterback and if you feel that you are in a place where with him as we saw this past year on the back of coaching and defense and Saquon being great and good line play you can win nine games I don't know Maybe see if you can raise your ceiling beyond that by going another direction because I don't see the Giants being better than this next year. Like, it felt like they sort of reached their Daniel Jones ceiling and uh, they got eradicated when it came to playing a real big boy football team on a meaningful stage. So, to me, I don't know if that screams, yeah, let's extend this guy, let's make him our future. I'm fine with giving him another year or two to take a stab at it, but... I just don't really buy Daniel Jones as the guy here. And that's what a lot of people, uh, I heard their takes on the signing too, is that you know they felt like this just stinks for Saquon because Saquon can ball his ass off and be you know, as good as we thought Saquon could be, a top five running back in the NFL, uh, one of the best rushers and receivers in the game. And it might not matter because you've got Captain Checkdown at quarterback who won't push the ball downfield, who... Brian Dable knows his limitations, is going to try to keep the offense in check for him and keep it simple. Yeah, it, one of the most fundamental uh, philosophies in football. You need a great game-changing quarterback to win playoff games. And if you don't have that guy, it gets really hard because you need drives, you need big plays, and DJ doesn't do that. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to ride this out. I think DJ probably isn't the long-term answer, and... Hopefully, hopefully improves. Hopefully, we don't look back at this as you know two years wasted. I don't really know what the option is. You know, you trade up in the draft, get a Stroud, yeah, a Richardson, maybe uh, right. Like, is it impossible that the Bears could move the number one pick and the Giants could put together a package? They have all their picks this year, right, and a couple from other teams too. Would you have done that if you were the Giants? Maybe if I felt that I really liked one of the quarterbacks, because I think the conclusion that we're headed towards here is in two years, they say, actually, you know what? Danny Dimes isn't that good. And <laughs> even that 2022 season, which was really only okay, but it was fun. We made the playoffs. We won a playoff game. That was our ceiling with him. I just think that that is very possible. And uh, I feel like that's what we're headed towards. Realistically. I don't see Daniel Jones taking a significant leap it's not really in the cards to me the good moments we're, we're are on it, too guys. few and far between <laughs> nerd says just cracked the code daniel jones is mid yeah we We've did confirmed it breaking 
news. Do you want to talk about the Derrick Henry rumors at all? Just him being shopped. Obviously nothing official there, but I will say as a Buffalo Bills fan, pretty intriguing. Uh, yeah, we can hit on it real quick. I was going to say, I think the dream landing spot for me is definitely Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, pair him up with Josh Allen, give him a legitimate running game. Uh, you know, you get decent push, too, with guys like Singletary and Cook back there. I like James Cook. He could be the future for Buffalo. But, you know, Derrick Henry's Derrick freaking Henry. I, I thought this is weird for me from Tennessee because I thought Tennessee would be a team that maybe would be interested in a, gar- a guy like Lamar Jackson. Uh, you take Lamar, put him with Derrick Henry, you have the most potent rushing offense uh, in the NFL. I get it uh, for Tennessee. You know what I mean? Guys have tread on their tires. Running back is that position, man. When when, when it's gone for running backs, it's gone. Uh, you think of Sean Alexander. When, when it was gone, it was gone. Uh, you think of Eddie George. When it was gone, it was gone. And it was really bad and it was really ugly. And... I don't really see that with Derrick Henry. I think Derrick Henry's a different beast. Can he stay healthy? How much more of this workload can he take? It's just a matter of years. Do you have two years left with Derrick Henry? Do you have three? Is he the ultimate beast? Does he have five or six left in him? I mean, we've seen running backs with long careers. Adrian Peterson, Frank mm-hmm. Gore, modern guys that have lasted a long time. LaShawn McCoy uh, is a great example of workhorse backs who never really fell off that, could, that were that durable. I don't know if Derrick Henry's that guy. I think it would be an I think it would be a mistake. Uh, but this kind of signals to me that Tennessee might be going for a full rebuild. Tannehill's not their guy. You've got Willis in the wings. I don't know if Willis is the guy, but clearly they don't feel like they can really contend with this team. I would move on from Tannehill. That would be the adjustment I would make. Not moving on from Derrick Henry, but I understand if they want to move in a different direction. Definitely surprised me though, man. Derrick Henry's been this team's entire offense for. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like five years now. Um, So I think it's weird that they're shopping him, but I do understand it because he's a running back. I definitely understand it. I think that they're just too far away right now, as good as Vrabel may be as a coach. Just speaking from the perspective of someone who roots for the Bills, and again, they do seem to be the contender who's most likely to make a move here. It is very interesting because Derrick Henry has had one of the best running back peaks ever like the last four years he's averaging what 110 yards per game very efficiently and has really only sustained one injury in that entire time I understand that he's 29 and that's very scary he's also 6'3 250 and (laughs) just consistently the most productive running back in football and completely changes the dynamic of a game because Obviously, we've seen it with the Titans, right? What he's done for their play-action game. He made Ryan Tannehill one of the most efficient quarterbacks in football for a year. You load up the box. Everybody's worried about Derrick Henry in a way that they probably aren't worried about any other running back in football. But he's 29 and a running back. And if you look at the Bills roster, sure, it's easy to say, well, we need a more reliable running game outside of Josh Allen because that is so consistently the case. At the same time, you need to improve the line. The weapons outside of Diggs in the receiving game are fine, but not elite. I agree with you. I do think James Cook is a very gifted runner of the football, and with more opportunity, I could see him being a rather productive guy. And the bottom line is that this team, in terms of its overall roster, 
was not at the level of the Cincinnati Bengals or certainly the two teams that we saw play in the Super Bowl. And sure, losing Von Miller, your most dynamic pass rusher, hurts there. But at the end of the day, they got dominated in the trenches on both sides of the football. And they didn't look all that close. So, yeah, I would probably dedicate the cap and the resources, if it's a second-round pick or whatever, to go get Derrick Henry. But I just don't know how long that's for. And I don't know if I feel it's the most important thing here. At the same time, it's like... Yeah, we can look at a James Cook and say, well, maybe he could be this. And the line should be better also. But it's like the Bills have never had that reliable run game out of Josh Allen and in an offense that is so great in so many other ways and is often great even in spite of that fact. And maybe it is an overplayed issue. It's been an ongoing issue for the entire Josh Allen era. And there's nobody I would be more confident in correcting that, even if it's just for this next season. You don't know how long it is because of his age than Derrick Henry in terms of just being a singular force at the running back position. So we'll see, but I don't think he's going to demand a ton of value. Like it just doesn't happen with running backs, especially running backs who have already spent seven years in the league. So I think in terms of a value proposition for a year or two, it's not going to be bad. It's more just a question of resource allocation and of, is this the most important thing for us to address? You're not attaching yourself to Zeke, you know, six years, 90 million here. And also Derrick Henry is way better than Zeke has ever been. I don't know. Jerry Jones might. That, that, nothing that dude does surprises me. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, whoever's getting Derrick Henry, if the Titans do choose to move on from, or they're getting one hell of a rental for however long you get mm-hmm. him. Uh, I still have faith that, and I mean, too, man, with as much shotgun stuff is. It's just, dude, you'd be in hell. Like, if you think about this just schematically on a football level, damn. Yeah. I mean, the play action is just going to go stupid. You have to stack the box because you have to respect Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. But then you got to guard Diggsy. Then you got to guard Dawson Knox. Then you got to guard Gabe um, Davis. Yeah, Gabe Davis. It's, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, They'd be the best so, offense in football. I really I think do so believe that. And. Yeah, they have to pay him after 2023, but I don't think he's demanding a massive contract. Like, yeah, you're going to pay him, obviously, more than the average running back, but he's going to be 30 years old. There's nobody in the market who's going to give him, you know, $12 million a year for four years again. That's not going to happen. So, even if he's still producing at this level, I do think it makes some sense for the Bills, but... I could kind of go either way on it. I don't think it's like an, oh my God, we have to jump at that opportunity, but God, would it be fun. It would reach a point where it's just like, all right, well, even if our line isn't great, we have the two most insane physical specimens at their position mm-hmm. in running back and quarterback. Well, you guys you don't might have be Anthony able to Richardson. just overwhelm that. Who don't we have? You guys don't have Anthony Richardson. That's actually true. We don't have Anthony Richardson, but we have... Uh, Josh Allen, we have Superman. So it'll be interesting to see where Derrick Henry ends up. Let's pivot to basketball here. As we said, we have a lot to get through. The New York Knicks, Logan, have won nine of their last ten games. They are solidly in that five seed now. What do you think the ceiling is for this team? How legit are they? It's a great question. Um, You haven't thought about it, huh? Second round exit. I, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of ceiling. Uh, second round exit, maybe. 
I, they're 12 and three in their last 15. They're third in offensive rating, 12th in defensive rating, third in net rating. Uh, these are all over their last 15. Uh, Jalen Brunson is the absolute goat. A lot of people hated on that contract in New York. Uh, I don't know how you could watch what he did in the playoffs last season and go, "Wow, that's such a abhorrently bad contract." I think we're going to look in two years and be like, "Wow, that's one of the best in basketball." Um, mm-hmm. He's been putting up 28, four and six on 56, 46 splits, and I mean, just, Brunson is the goat in. You know, I made a video on Brunson a long time ago about how he was the most one of the most winning players in basketball. He just impacted the game at all levels in transition, in the half court, in taking over an offense when there's nothing around him. Uh, Brunson still does that, man. The way he draws contact in the lane, he never lets guys drive him off of his spots. He keeps straight. He he's gonna give you some body. He's gonna give you some contact and take it with him. Uh, He's just crafty, man. He is a crafty scorer. He's a crafty basketball player, and it's beautiful. The Knicks are one of my favorite teams in basketball to watch because they have Jalen Brunson and they have Emmanuel Quickly. They're two of my favorite players in the league. They're just fun. Um, Julius Randle's been playing his ass off too, man. I hate Julius Randle with a passion. <laughs> uh, 27-9-4 49-39 splits. And I don't know what Julius Randle can do at this point to make me like him. He is so janky. He is so streaky. Just like that game winner he hit against the Heat, that might be the worst game winner I've ever seen. Uh, like, well, worst possession maybe. Great shot. I mean, dude, the Jimmy is playing. They're playing yeah. perfect defense on Julius. They force him to pick up the ball like twice. They knock him back to half court. There's a loose ball. Hero doesn't come up with it. I think Hero switches on him or something like that. And it's like, how do you not come up with a loose ball? And then two, Randall just. He does that dumb shit he always does. He, like, takes one step, hits a little step back, and <laughs> cashes it. It was a disgusting game winner. Like I, like I said, I don't know what else Julius can do. He's 42 out of the mid-range, well, 41% on step-back threes, 40% on pull-up jump shots, and he's a 36% jump shooter. Every possession where Julius Randle, every Knicks possession that ends with a Julius Randle jump shot, I just go, no, <laughs> no, Julius, and then he hits some of them. I don't know if I'll ever change my opinion on him. The, the biggest difference is the acquisition of Josh Hart, right? 11-6-3 on 62-60 splits. He plays winning, winning basketball. Brunson, Hart, and Randall have been playing their asses off. I think he's a massive pickup for the Knicks. And I think the implications of this are, I don't know if there's a spot for R.J. Barrett on this team moving forward mm. if he doesn't start hitting shots. I would rather play Quentin Grimes or Emmanuel quickly down mm-hmm. the stretch of any basketball game because I just think it's more important that you have someone who can make shots, and I don't think you're losing much defensively. Barrett's splits are awful, shooting 48% from the restricted area, 33% from three-point land, 30% from the mid-range. Uh, in these last 15 games, 42, 28, 71 splits, you got a like, guy like Emmanuel quickly who is... 16-4-3 on 48-42 splits. He's a stone-cold bucket. He's shooting over 55% on floater. He's he's super crafty. Quentin Grimes is shooting, uh, I think, like 10 on 48-39 splits. Again, with the, both of those guys, I don't think you're losing much defensively, and they're just better scorers. Like, I think people will look at these raw numbers and they'll go, oh, man, RJ's putting up 20 this year. Oh, RJ's putting up 18 in his last 15 games. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Like, RJ's a decent defender. That's kind of the only compliment I can give about, about his game, and I don't really know what else. I think he needs a new destination. I just don't think he really fits with these pieces. You have your on-ball guys. Yeah. You have Jalen Brunson. You have Julius Randle. Uh, 
you don't really need RJ. I would move on from him. Hart, Quickly, and Grimes, I think, are just better fits around this offense. And uh, I, I think RJ's slowly losing his spot in the rotation and spot on this team. RJ's not horrible, but he's not good. He's not a winner. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Knicks are, are playing their asses off defensively. Brunson and Randall are doing their thing. Uh, and they've done a great job by shortening up this rotation. It's worked. You've had Mitchell Robinson miss time. Brunson's missed a few games. And they've stuck with it, and it's worked. Uh, but I don't know, man. I don't I don't really think RJ is, is the best fit for this team moving forward. Well, there's an old saying where I'm from that you can only have two ball-dominant lefties on one team. <laughs> and unfortunately... The Knicks are currently in violation of that rule. Yeah, I've never been an RJ guy. Uh, I was okay to not a huge fan of the extension because it's not an obscene amount of money for a talented guy. The only problem is that RJ has never progressed in the area in which he needs to progress, and that is actual skilled shot making. That would be pull-up jump shooting, intermediate floater mid-range game where he is just an absolute bricklayer. And he's not a good enough athlete <laughs> to compensate for that. And he's a fine playmaker, but it's not enough to make him a dynamic offensive presence. And he's not a particularly good catch and shooter, right? Like we saw him have success there a couple of years ago when he was 40% from deep. But overall, he's just not a very good offensive player, but he's given like star level volume and he's being paid almost star level money. So it's not great. They would absolutely be better off with another Quentin Grimes on the wings, right? A guy who doesn't need the ball, who's going to defend, who's going to knock down his shots. Another Josh Hart. Like, those guys are awesome. And I do think that this Knicks team is really good. I think that clearly the bench, which has been a strength for this team the past couple years even, has gone up another level this year, right? With the progression of Quentin Grimes quickly playing easily the best basketball of his career this year. It's still just floaters and pull-up threes, really, and solid reads as a passer. But you know what? He's efficient. He makes this team better. He's one of the best bench players in the league, no doubt about it. And God, I love Josh Hart. Like, again, it was sort of weird, the deal that they made with Cam Reddish, because I was like, what does this really do for their ceiling? But Josh Hart's just a really good basketball player, and he impacts winning in every way. If it's as a playmaker, as a shooter, as a rebounder, as a defender, he's just a multifaceted winner. So clearly they're very improved in that respect, right? Actually having Mitchell Robinson mostly healthy, all these things are very good for them. But the reason that they've been an elite team since February 1st, won 12 of 15, won 9 of 10, and the only game that they lost was without Jalen Brunson out there to the Hornets, is because of the level that Randall and Jalen Brunson are playing at. You mentioned it. Randall, since February 1st, is 27-plus on 61% true shooting. That's his last 15, and Jalen Brunson is 28-9 on 68% true shooting. So it's like, yeah, if your two best players are playing at that level and you have a solid supporting cast, you're going to be really, really tough to beat. I do believe that Brunson can sustain something close to that. Like, mm -hmm. obviously that's unconscious, but... The dude is a bona fide star. And I think it sucks that Randall was an all-star over him. I didn't have either of them on my team, but if Jalen Brunson had been playing like this at the time that we voted, then I certainly would have. And obviously he was playing very well, but we were looking at some slim margins there. The dude is such a versatile scorer. We've always been Jalen Brunson guys, but 
there came a point where I was like, all right, is he really going to be able to handle this load as the lead guard offensively? And the answer is yes. He's a highly efficient pick-and-roll scorer. He does it on all three levels. He's a good playmaker. He's a great leader. He's a great competitor. Jalen Brunson is awesome. No, he's not a number one on a championship team, but that's a ridiculous standard to impose upon him. My concern is more with Julius Randle, and it's because of something that you touched on, and it's the inconsistency of the jump shooting, which is the swing factor in his game. Like, two years ago, when we had the Julius Randle revolution, it was because suddenly he was a good difficult shot maker from the mid-range, he was a good pull-up jump shooter from deep, and it's like, wow, now you're looking at a star, maybe even all-NBA level player. And he grew as a playmaker too, but a lot of it, a majority of the difference between Julius Randle two years ago and Julius Randle last year, who everybody hated, who all of a sudden sucked, was just the fact now he's shooting 32% from deep. He's not making those same mid-range shots. Like, yeah, maybe there was a bit of decision-making regression and whatnot, but a lot of it is just, is Julius Randle actually a good shooter of the basketball or not? <laughs> and it was a uniquely confusing situation because he finally looked like a good shooter of the basketball when there were no fans in the stands. And then when there were fans again, all of a sudden he regressed. So, yeah, he's having this unbelievable stretch. And he's 50% from mid-range. And he's 39% from deep on almost 10 attempts per game since February 1st. But up till that point on the season, he had been 38% from mid-range, 33% from deep, and had improved as the season had come along but was not at this unconscious level that he needs to be at while Brunson is simultaneously at this level for the Knicks to be an elite team. So, bottom line, Jalen Brunson completely changes the complexion of this team. He is an elite guard. He makes this team actually good offensively, which had been a standard that was unattainable for them. Like, two years ago, for anybody who was listening to our podcast then, the Knicks were consistently denounced as frauds on Nerd Sesh because they sucked offensively and they were completely reliant on this one guy who was not that level of an offensive star, didn't have that level of polish. And it's like, all right, if his jump shot goes, if Atlanta loads up on him, right, if they aggressively help and double and with Capella as a rim protector, they're going to give him fits. And he absolutely fell apart in that playoff series. This is a different level of team. They're better on the wings. Their depth is better. You know, they, they haven't quite produced at the level defensively because they were just so consistently dedicated in that season, but their personnel is certainly as good. And they have Brunson, which is the difference maker, and Randall is playing as well as he ever has right now. The question, though, is can Randall sustain that level? And maybe he doesn't have to be this good for them to beat the Cavs, right? Because they're just a really good team. They're, like, on par with the Cavs, who are also flawed, who are... Worse than the Knicks in terms of depth, wing play. And yeah, these teams can go toe-to-toe. To he- toe to toe. Hey, we both have our two stars and see who outplays each other. And the Knicks do have the better roster top to bottom. That's a winnable series. But bottom line is this is not sustainable enough for them to go out and beat any of the top three teams out east. And I hate to break that to anybody who's riled up, but the Knicks are not a contender because of that. They're not as talented top to bottom as the Celtics or the Bucks. They do not have the star power that any of those top three teams have. They don't have the defensive ceiling, and they don't have the offensive talent. So the Knicks are legitimately good. They are better than I expected, and there's tons of guys individually who have progressed on this roster, and it's a really fun season, and I like watching them right now. I like it a lot when you know Julius Randle's actually making his pull-up jumpers. But there's a ceiling to all this, and we'll see where it goes because if you can move RJ... If you can attach 
something else to him and convert him into a really good supporting wing. Like, if this Knicks team had, just like off the top of my Grant, head, man. an OG on an Obi, just because he's the guy who'd been made available, I think there's still intrigue with RJ. You send him to Canada? Come on. He's Canadian. <laughs> They'd love that. Then I would look at this team like, whoa, this is really something. But, yeah, RJ does hold them back a bit just because he's an inefficient, not overly complimentary at all piece, and it's just a bit redundant. Yeah, and uh, you laid it out perfect with the Randall thing, is, and, and that's what will always hold this team back. Yes, you can get out of the first round. Yes, you are a good team. Julius Randle, the way he can swing a series for you and win a series, I can see Julius Randle shooting this team completely out of a series too. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's just so streaky and inconsistent like that. I don't trust him as a second option. And he befuddles me as an NBA player because he will do this. He will have stretches. I mean, stretches of hot shooting. And I can't figure it out. Is Julius Randle a good NBA player or not? I've always leaned no. Mm-hmm. Even when he's putting up 25, 10, and 4, the numbers are staring me in the face. He's shooting well. Excuse me. Um, I still don't think he's a good NBA player. And even if he is a good NBA player, he's not a reliable NBA player. And that's the biggest thing is no matter what happens, the Knicks are still going to be dependent. I love Jalen Brunson. I love this bench. I love this team. Um, Your second and third guys I can't depend on. Sorry. Yeah. I understand completely the reliability. I mean, I've never been a Julius Randle guy. I just don't like it aesthetically. I was skeptical of the (laughs) ascension. And there's always been inconsistency. And yeah, I mean, there's a super hard ceiling on what can be offensively if he's like your lead guy. But Brunson does add another dimension. And what is intriguing about this team long term is that They have two guys who right now, and I don't put Julius Randle in this tier permanently, but if you're looking at the last 15 games, are playing like top 20 guys, clearly. And they owe those guys, on average, through 2025-26, when they have them both locked up, about $50 million a year combined. So you're paying them what is now like a, a really good role player salary. You know, you play... You pay your third guy $25 million. RJ's going to be making uh, more than Jalen Brunson starting in two years and is going to be on par with Julius Randle. So then it becomes a question of, all right, we're going to get off some money. Like, can we dump Fournier, who is completely useless, and attach a pick? That's going to be basically an expiring next year because then they have a team option in 2024-25. They're obviously not going to pay that. Derrick Rose, they're about to have a team option with. Obviously, uh, not going to be paying that. And so then it's like, maybe we can move RJ. So I don't know. They have become potentially a destination. And they have, frankly, done a pretty good job with these contracts. Like, I didn't I didn't love the Randall contract just because I've never liked him. And although I really liked Jalen Brunson as a player, I was a bit skeptical, which looking back, I really shouldn't have been. It's not even that much money. Like, it's not actual star-level money in today's NBA. It's really good player money. And Julia, and Jalen Brunson is a bona fide star. So maybe what's most important here is what can they do next year? And in an NBA where stars are increasingly likely to just hit the market at any time and become available, 
maybe they could make something happen. And listen, I'm not a believer in, hey, the Knicks are always in that conversation, but this is the best Knicks team we've seen easily since that mellow team in 2013 and could even be better than that team. The reality is just that the East around them is a lot better. Yeah, I heard LeBron's going to be a free agent this season. I think the Knicks are like a lock to get him, man. He's I like agree. one of the eight teams that they're talking to. Um, I also heard that uh, Donovan Mitchell was like going to become available by the Jazz. I think the Knicks are locks, dude. Um, I never like to buy into Nick free agent talk, but I think both destinations in New York are legitimate landing spots for w- one more guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you plug in a guy, a I think for both of these teams. You plug in a 25-point-per-game scorer, and that's a hard bargain. You know, that's a hard piece to find. Sure. But you plug in a 20-plus-point-per-game scorer who's efficient to either of these situations, Brooklyn or New York, I think they're legit contenders. All I'm saying is it's rare to have two players of this caliber and to have Fair. them oh, under on, control on like this, 100%, owed $50 million 100%. a year. Randall could be a three on a really good team. Hell yeah. Yeah. And there is still a black hole element with him at times where it's like it's tough to see Julius Randle at this point in a lower usage role and so much of what he does is with the ball, ball yeah just power myself either to the rim or to suck in the defense and make my read or to embrace that contact and get my mid-range pull up like he does have the ball in his hands a lot but clearly he can play with one other star and if it came time to ego check I don't know we would see but this is just a much better outcome than I was expecting from the Knicks at the start of this year. I really thought they were going to be a thoroughly average team, and I thought that it was going to be another year of, oh, my God, Julius Randle, what the fuck? We were building around this guy and more RJ disappointment, and I didn't think Brunson would be this good. So it's fun. It's very fun. I'm excited for them. I'm excited for Knicks fans, and you got to earn being talked about on Nerd Session, right? We don't just talk about you because you're the Knicks, and they've earned being talked they- about. So... Shout out to them. Last thing we're going to touch on here before we get out, because this is going to be a long one. We've actually seen Kevin Durant with the Suns now for three games, and we didn't have a chance to touch on that last week, so we got to touch on it now. What have been your takeaways? Yeah, the Suns got who we thought they got. Best player in basketball. You know who I am. I'm Kevin Durant. Dude, he's friggin' KD. You got the best scorer in basketball. I don't know what you thought you were getting, man. Uh, I, the Hornets game, man, KD was lighting him up. Easy, getting to his spots. Just undefendable, man. Uh, the Mavs game was so nasty. Uh, just bucket for bucket whenever KD wanted it. I mean, he looks like... It's weird, man. For two, three years running, I feel like I keep going when KD's healthy. This is the best Kevin Durant I've ever seen. He looks unstoppable. I've said this all season long, but Kevin Durant is the one guy that I'd want. It's why the Suns. It's why the Suns move was so big. He's the one guy I would want for a playoff run this year. He's the first guy that I would draft in a one season I, over anybody. Anybody for a playoff run, I want Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. He's looked like that through two games, and the beauty of this situation, um, I think it's a beautiful basketball fit. Most importantly, because. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are not only some of the most talented on-ball scorers in basketball, but some of the most talented off-ball guys. You watch it, and it's fluid. It's easy. It doesn't seem forced at all. It's effortless. I mean, it's to other NBA teams playing the Suns, I would say welcome to hell. Mm -hmm. You're in basketball hell. You, for four quarters tonight, 
get to have to pay attention to two of the best scorers in basketball. Book, one of the best cutters, one of the best just manipulating, using his body in the mid-range, taking his time. KD, just unstoppable. I'm going to get to my spot. I'm going to pull up in your face, and I'm getting that bucket. Oh, you want to send two at me? Guess what? I can pass two. And I've just, I've loved this move from all sides. And KD makes these role players better, too. The Wainwright minutes aren't as bad when KD's on the floor. The Landale minutes aren't as bad with KD on the floor. The Damian Lee minutes aren't as bad with KD on the floor. I still don't love this bench. I don't love this conglomerate of players that come off of the bench. That is the limiting factor and the biggest concern for the Phoenix Suns moving forward. That being said, this starting five has been absolutely electric, has been elite. These are the two best scorers in basketball uh, on the same team. Uh... Flat out, I might actually just go with that. Like, all-around, three-level scorers, the best two in the league. And they have made their guys' jobs earlier, uh, easier. Excuse me. Aiden, uh, focusing just on rolling, playing defense, on grabbing boards. Uh, and CP setting these guys up. And CP's look pretty good, too. My one concern is something my dad brought to my attention. He wonders if... There's enough ball to go around here. Uh, if there's enough mouths to feed, if Aiden is going to get frustrated with his diminished role, I think he should be. I think that that's kind of lost on a lot of NFL and NBA teams today. Uh, what you said earlier, the ego factor. Mm-hmm. Guys have to sacrifice something to win NBA titles. Every NBA player who is not a one or a number two has to sacrifice something to win a ring. And... I don't know, Aiden sometimes will put his head down, right? You know, like, and I've noticed that too, man. KD will get two guys dragged on him. Book will get two guys dragged on him. And they put up that contested mid-range shot instead of dumping it off to Aiden. And sometimes you'll see Aiden hang his head moving up the floor. Like, dang, you know, I'm right there. That's an easy bucket. They didn't hit me. That's my one, like, concern is just everybody staying engaged, having enough ball to go around, guys feeling involved enough in the offense with KD and Book. But... If they can do that, I have full trust in this team. Um, I, I, they got who we thought they got. Kevin Durant is the best player on planet Earth, and he has looked like it in these few games that we've seen with Phoenix. And uh, I think we're in for a show, man. I think the Suns are – I'm not ready to put them above the Nuggets, but damn, they've looked good. I still have Denver as my number one team out west, but damn, Phoenix looks good. Look, if DeAndre Ayton's ego messes this thing up – I'm I'm gonna give him a stern talking to because what more can you ask for, man? You got your money, and now you're playing with Kevin Durant, and guess what? Everything had gone south. The title window had closed, and suddenly it's reopened. So enjoy getting your 16 and 10, buddy. Take your couple little mid-range turnarounds a night that you love so much, and play your ass off, and roll hard, and defend hard, and hit the glass. Just be a great role player, DeAndre. I've had my frustrations with him, but you know what? He can really be an impactful guy when he's playing his best. Yeah, there's no surprises here. This fit is incredible. It's perfect. It's Kevin Durant. He fits anywhere. He's the perfect basketball player. I agree with you in a lot of ways when it comes down to like the who do you want for one playoff run, right? I know that I've said multiple different people in my eyes are the best player in the world. There was a point last year when I think I said it was Jokic, and generally my stance has been it's probably Giannis even though he's not my favorite because of just the unstoppable physical and two-way factor and with how his playmaking has grown but I think it really might be Kevin Durant like there is just a scalability the ability to thrive anywhere 
the two-way level that he's reached, the playmaking level that he's reached, and both the on-ball pick-and-roll isolation and off-ball spot-up off-screen scoring. It's just like, who's more perfect at basketball than Kevin Durant right now? Nobody. Nobody is less exploitable and more malleable. Giannis, right, can overcome his shortcomings just through sheer force and his progression as a playmaker. But, right, there are still ways to to load up. He can still just take his obligatory four threes a game and miss them all, and those are all bad possessions that are just to theoretically keep the defense honest. They're wasted. Jokic, you can go at defensively. You can involve him in pick and roll over and over again. There's no weakness with Kevin Durant. I understand that he didn't play very well against the Celtics in a playoff series last year over four games, but I just don't think that there is a more perfect basketball player alive right now. And, yeah, he's fit really well here. We've seen him excel away from the ball between spot-up and off-screen possessions. He's 14 of 19 in his three games, just disgustingly efficient. And we've seen also Book and CP3 both acquiesce to where all these guys understand they're not going to have the ball in their hands as much. Both CP3 and Book have taken 10 catch-and-shoot threes over these three games, which is significantly more than their normal shot diet. Because everybody has the ball in their hands just a little bit less. But they're all doing well. Again, Book and KD are exceptionally well-equipped for this. And although CP3 has always been a manage-the-game, control-every-possession kind of guy, guess what? He's a solid catch-and-shooter. And there are times where it's just, we got to have the ball in Kevin Durant's hands. we got to have the ball in Devin Booker's hands. They're just more dynamic talents. They're more effective with the ball in their hands than CP3. And he's good enough off-ball to still justify playing him in those minutes when it's nice too dude for chris paul's sake it's it was so nice watching him take an open look that he didn't have to manufacture (laughs) like it it really weirded me out watching him take those uh, because i've seen a lot more catch and shoot threes that was another thing i've noticed over these two games him stepping into shots and it's like wow i forgot chris paul when there's not a guy right on him he's a good shooter like yeah this deal is is going as well as I as I think it could have gone. Yeah. And listen, I never had any question about Kevin Durant. All right, Kevin Durant is unbelievable. <laughs> the question has always been that fifth spot, that depth on the wings, the depth overall. And listen, with the level that Josh Okogie's been playing at, I think that the Suns would be the deserved favorite out West. Last nine games, he's almost 17 a night, 40% from three. He's a good athlete capable of attacking closeouts and getting to the rim. He is the best point of attack defender on this team. And we know that they can clean up on the interior with the rim protection of DeAndre Ayton and then the secondary rim protection of Kevin Durant. The question is just how are they going to handle those guards? And I think Okogi is their best option to do that. And if he's playing well offensively too, then you know what? He's been a pretty damn good fifth. Do I trust that? The shooting? As I've said before, I don't know because I've never seen Josh Okogie shoot the ball well in my entire life since he was at Georgia Tech. He's at a busted-ass jump shot, and it's never gone in very often. I don't know what he is in his career, probably 28 29% from deep. He's not a good shooter of the basketball, and suddenly he's shooting well. But yeah, when he's able to do that and put everything together, he's quite good. And the question is really just for this team, is Okogie, Torrey Craig, Ish Wainwright in combination enough for those wing minutes. And they're all weird players in their own way. Time out. We got TJ. Yeah. TJ. 
Well, I mean, he's does he really matter mix, though? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's the most skilled offensive guy for sure by far, but that's not really the most important thing here. I don't think. Okay, sure, Logan. To to make you happy, we'll throw him into the mix. He's fine. Well, I just I just mean he's probably going to be getting the playoff. Ro- he's going to get the rotational minutes. I don't think he's going to play more than any of those guys, honestly. I think he's going to be comparable to Craig and Akogi. I mean, I'd rather play him than like I don't know Damian Lee. Well, I don't know that Damian, Damian Lee's, Lee's playing cool. at all. I mean, their rotation is probably going to be eight, right? It's going to be. Three of these wings who we're talking about and campaign and then the big four. Who else is playing? Terrence Ross. Oh, Terrence Ross, of course. Yeah. I think Terrence Ross is the offense first guy who is obviously going to get the priority before TJ. I mean, he's better. Um, But. Yeah. Shut up, Josh Okoge. Career (laughs) 29%. Yeah. Three-point shooter. So I'm concerned about that. And Craig Wainwright. They're both these unique players, right? Torrey Craig is an okay shooter. Ish Wainwright's an okay shooter. They're both stockier guys. Ish Wainwright's 250 pounds. Strong man. So, obviously, he's not containing your small guards. He is versatile. He does take on different matchups, but, you know, you're not sticking Ish Wainwright on Steph Curry. Uh, So, it's going to come down to are those guys in combination enough? And right now, that's still a big concern. But what I will say is... They've looked better than I probably would have expected in this recent stretch. And nobody scares me out West more than Phoenix. I don't think anybody has a higher ceiling because the Nuggets obviously have been consistently great. And they have really, really strong complementary players and the best offensive player alive, in my opinion. And Jamal Murray has been unbelievable in the second half of the season is playing his best basketball ever like on par with the bubble run great playmaking incredible shot making 24 and seven and a half efficiently a night mbj is shooting the shit out of the ball aaron gordon's having a career season right the nuggets are great we talk about them a lot i love them but what scares me more is Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Chris Paul coming at you in pick and roll over and over and over again on a team that I do think probably has a higher ceiling defensively and does have just that star power overwhelming factor if they can figure out the depth. So I'm not ready to call this fight because I am more worried about the Suns' depth than I am probably any factor for either of these two teams. Like I do worry about the Nuggets' playoff defense, but I think that they're going to be the best offense no matter what. I think they can be okay defensively. I worry about Jokic being gone at repeatedly and getting fatigued. But I do think that what we see out of these Suns' wings consistently is going to be the determining factor for me. And are they the favorite or are they the second favorite? Either way, I think these two have separated themselves into that tier. Shout out to the Warriors. I still need to see a little bit more from them. They've improved defensively. Steph's back now. We'll see Wiggins, how it all comes together. Their depth looks better. The Nuggets have just proven it night tonight. I trust their offense more than anybody else. Jamal's been great. Everything that I laid out, it's just a question of that defensive ceiling. And for Phoenix, it's a question of this wing play. But those, to me, are the two best teams out West. And the Suns have looked pretty much as I would expect it. It's worked out well. It's just going to be about those wings, that depth. Yeah, I think for the Warriors, really quickly, uh, I, I think I need to see you know Wiggins back healthy. And then yeah. um, I still wonder if you guys are one wing short. Uh, I don't like playoff Lamb, Kuminga, Moody, um, 
or Iguodala minutes. I don't like anybody really off the bench. It's not DiVincenzo or Jerome um, or, you know, Poole. Kaminga's been out I, of his mind recently. He's been he's been all right. He's, like, he's been buckets. playing good defense. Kaminga's all right. Dude, the I, cum I bucket has been delivering. Yeah, no, listen, I'm not going to pretend that he's like a home run, but, dude, he scored 13-plus in five of his last six, 19-plus in Shut three up. of them. I just don't want... He's going to have to play a big role for the Warriors to... I mean, legitimately. Kaminga's going to need to play his ass off come playoff time for the Warriors to do something. I didn't mean to get on like a big tangent about this too, but like, I just don't want to look at this like in a couple years down the line and be like... Because, I mean, this is what you've been preaching all season long and what you said at the start of the year. Um, should the Warriors have cashed in and moved on from some of these young guys? And it's ironic because if we look at hindsight... They probably would have moved off Wiseman at the start of the year if they known how if they knew how things had gone. They wouldn't have wanted his value to deteriorate mm-hmm. any further. I think Moody has deteriorated as an asset. I think Kaminga has deteriorated as an really? asset. And you just don't you want to think look at this. deteriorated as an asset? Comparatively to like to the start of the year. I don't agree. I, I think he's gotten he, a lot better this maybe, year. I mean I think he's improved as a defender. I think he's a good defender now. I don't think he's like elite. I just think that for what it's tough, man. It's really tough balancing these two timelines. That's been the whole thing. Yeah. You know, we're contending right now, but we have these young guys, and I, I really wonder if maybe they make a move this off season to open up the title window. But then again, it's like you had another year wasted. You know what I mean? It's you. You don't want to look at this as we didn't cash in on our title window when we had all these guys here because I do. I really feel like the Warriors are a. I forget they have GP too, yeah. and GP is going to play good playoff minutes too. But it's like maybe he makes the difference. I just want one more solid wing, like like a Josh Hart. And I know that's a Josh Hart's a winning basketball mm-hmm. player, and he's a very unique player. But somebody like that that just does one more wing that does winning things like that. And I feel like the Warriors are short. Um, I, I don't want to write the Warriors off either now because, again, Wiggins has not been healthy, and some of these games are just ugly, dude. The the game against the Thunder the other night was frustrating, just watching that slip away. Um, the, the other road game they played, I can't remember who they were going up against, but it was atrocious, man. It just got out of hand so quickly, and it's so un-Warrior-like. Uh, I just feel like they're one wing short right now. I get it, but bottom line is, we obviously know that they won the title last year. Nobody individually out of the top six has regressed. DiVincenzo has been awesome. You're getting back GP2. So the difference is really, yeah, that big defensive wing spot, which was Otto Porter Jr. Is, where the frick is Otto Porter Jr.? Well, <laughs> injured, unfortunately. And obviously not a warrior anyways. But can Kaminga fill that role, I think, is a legitimate question. Iggy's back now. I don't know that I want Iggy playing. I think I'd rather have Kaminga. dude. Oh my God! I, I, I'm hoping it's just rust mm-hmm. from not having played. Iggy has stunk, dude. Yeah, he doesn't really look like an NBA player all that much to me anymore. Which you know, I guess happens when you're 40 and you barely play for <laughs> a few years. But obviously, they don't need Iggy. They didn't need Iggy last year. It's just got to be somebody. And I think it is Kamingo who's going to be asked to step up. And yeah, they have questions. But I think that there's clearly a get out of the West ceiling for them. Definitely. As we've discussed before. So that's going to do it for us today, guys. This has been a really, really fun week in sports. The other big story that we didn't touch on is jaw and his 
various drama dramas, his wielding a gun in a club, the report of him threatening the security guard, the report of him beating up the 17-year-old over a game of pickup. I don't really see that much value in coming on here and pontificating about a guy we don't know. He's making bad decisions. You hope he makes better decisions. I'm not going to come on here like skip and ask if he's a crip, if he's been initiated by the crips. Uh, I just think it's unfortunate to see, and uh, he's an incredibly skilled basketball player, and you hope that he figures everything out, and he needs to be more responsible. He needs to be better. I don't think there's anybody to hold accountable other than himself. I don't really have takes on it. Yeah, I just my, – my one take about Ja is I understand having the heat on you. You're an NBA player and you live in Memphis. I get it. I 100% get having protection on you. Keep it tucked. Don't let nobody know that you got it on you, Ja. That's just dumb. Also, he was in Denver. Also, yeah, why, and why are you – I don't know. And uh, it's a 50-game minimum suspension if you have a gun anywhere on team facility. Shout out No Chill Gill. So – there's an investigation into where that gun came from. I don't know if he flew on the plane with it. Boy, that'd be stupid. It'd be very stupid. And uh, it's just, it's not worth getting in the in the mix um, about, I, I thought Jalen Rose summed it up pretty well um, on whatever platform uh, that was. I thought Jalen Rose set him up pretty well, and I wish nothing but the best for Ja. We're, it's tough, man. When you're a young guy thrust into the spot like that, you're, you're a role model at that point, and I think that's a lot. That's a big, I don't know, man. It's a big thing to take on. Jaw's a kid. I'm not gonna, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna chastise Jaw too much. He's a young man, and it's hard when you're, when you go from where Jaw was right into the spotlight, getting paid all this big money. You're a big time superstar. It's tough, um, but I have faith that he's gonna figure it out. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for us here today, guys. Appreciate you listening as always. There's not going to be a pod next week. I hate to break it to everybody. I'm going to be out of the country. I'm going to be somewhere that I won't tell any of you. Because what if you what if you come and you want a picture and you say, I know that Carson Brevers in this country. I'm going to be there. Can't have that happening. But going to take next week Guys, off he's, accordingly. He's going to be in Toledo, Ohio. He's gonna I'm going to Toledo, Toledo Ohio. Ohio. There's a conference for the... National Corn Husking Association and I have to make an appearance <laughs> because I'm a pretty well-respected figure in that world. But don't worry. We'll keep the TikToks coming. Uh, Logan will keep you guys entertained. Maybe he'll just do like a head-patting live stream where he'll just pat his head a thousand times, and that'll be our content for the week. So appreciate you guys. You know where to find us, TikTok at Nerd Sesh. We got some banging trivia content coming up there, and we – do quick takes, basketball analysis stuff there too. Follow us across social media, Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, Instagram at nerd sesh. Check us out on YouTube and you know where to get the podcast, all audio platforms. So with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.